0: all this evening? Good. Early in this nation's history, Europeans traveled to North America and they settled in a new land, a land that had been inhabited by Native Americans. And by the late 18th century, we had 13 colonies, but we also had British rule and British taxation, but we had no representation in the British parliament. And by the year 1776, the United States, which had approximately a population of 3 million, was formed. And independence from Great Britain was officially declared. The final draft of the Declaration of Independence was completed by Thomas Jefferson of Virginia on July 4, the year was 1776. It was unanimously approved by the Continental Congress, And the United States then declared themselves to be free from Britain. The declaration begins this way. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, then follows some of the most famous words written in modern history. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you appreciate your liberty? Do you appreciate your freedom? Many people have died to preserve those things if you were an immigrant long ago and you were approaching Ellis Island in New York Harbor, you were approaching hope. When you see the skyline of New York City, you're approaching hope. And today, Ellis Island is a memorial. It's an important place, a significant place. This nation has always stood for freedom. Close by the Statue of Liberty proudly proclaims these famous words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. There seems to be little doubt that God himself was responsible for the founding of the United States of America, Even our currency says, in God we trust. The United States is founded on the principles that were cherished by God himself. And we would say that it still stands for those principles today. But the question we're going to ask today or tonight through the lens of the Bible is, could it be that one day those founding principles might just possibly be challenged? And so tonight we go through the Bible and look at the prophecies that speak about the United States of America. We discover that this nation will occupy a very important and influential position here on planet Earth in the close of time. Now, with the United States occupying such a prominent position in the geopolitical landscape, you might expect that the Bible would refer to the United States of America now, the Bible, it doesn't refer to every single nation. You won't read in the Bible about Tonga. I have Tongan friends. You might read about Tonga for rugby. You don't read in the Bible about El Salvador, right? And you don't read in the Bible about Kazakhstan. But you do find nations that had a direct impact on God's people, on his covenant people and his relationship with him. In the beginning, you read about a place called the Garden of Eden. Why is that? Well, that's where God's people were. That's the beginning of the human family. You read about Abraham, the faithful, and he was called from Ur of the Chaldees. And so we read in the Bible about a place called Mesopotamia. You read in the Bible about Babylon and Medo-Persia, and Greece, and Rome. These are kingdoms and nations that had a direct impact on God's covenant people. The Babylonians, they ruled the world. They sacked Jerusalem. Babylon was really the capital of the world at the time that it ruled. And then Medo-Persia came along, and Greece. You know, it was a Roman cross on which Jesus died. These kingdoms, in many ways, still impact our world today, and they're referred to in the Bible. The United States, it really represents an experiment, because it was the first time that a nation was founded as a republic on the principle of religious liberty. And today, the United States is the sole superpower in the world. Here was what was written in one influential newspaper, the Sydney Morning Herald, about a dozen or so years ago. It says, Americans should admit the truth and face up to their responsibilities as the undisputed masters of the world. The fact is, no country has been dominant culturally, economically, technologically, and militarily in the history of the world since the Roman Empire. Now, the question of liberty looms large in the Bible. God blessed us with freedom of choice. And last night we learned that God gives us freedom of choice because he loves us. God believes in liberty. He believes in personal liberty. The question is, will the United States of America still let freedom ring in earth's last days? Last night we learned about Daniel 2. The first kingdom that came along was what? It was Babylon. And it was particularly influential because Babylon is where God's people were taken captive. And then we came to the next kingdom. Do you remember what that was? It was Medo-Persia. And they conquered Babylon and they also permitted the reestablishment of Jewish society and the reconstruction of the city wall and the city of Jerusalem itself. And then we came to the next kingdom, which was what? Greece, under Alexander the Great. And he ruled the world. Greece ruled the world. He didn't. He died at 33. But they ruled the world for a couple hundred years. And then came Rome. It was very much a Roman world when Jesus walked as a man here on this earth. In both Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, we see that these prophecies say that the kingdom of Rome would divide, and out of it would come how many nations? Ten Ten nations, that's right. And out of those nations, there came a little horn power. We had four nations, and then ten nations, and out of those ten nations came one nation or one power. Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. Says, then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now let's pause. I want to ask you a question. In Bible prophecy, a beast is a symbol that represents what? A kingdom, right? A government, a nation, a power. That word beast is a symbol. And I would say it's a symbol in the same way that when you think of Russia, you think of a bear. When you think of the United States, you think of an eagle. That's what John saw. And then he said this. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power his throne and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed after the beast. Then verse four says, So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? you'll notice they have those four animals depicted in Daniel chapter seven. When you get over to Revelation 13, you see a composite beast. It's made up of the various characteristics of the first four nations that we've already talked about that were brought into view in Daniel seven and Daniel two. Then comes another nation. Here's what we read in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. The question is, who is the second nation? There's a lot to be said about the first nation or the first beast in Revelation chapter 13. But here's another one. Who could it be? We see that it does not come up out of the sea. The sea in Bible prophecy, we just learned, represented what? It represented people. And if you need the reference for that again, you can look it up in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15. This is people, multitudes of people. But this beast, it says, came up out of the earth. So relatively speaking, it comes up in a part of the earth that is sparsely populated. Now, when does it arise? It has to have arisen somewhat recently. Because let's remember the flow of nations. We had what first? Babylon. Babylon. And then next? Medo-Persia. And then? And then? But then after Rome, well, it came to an end in 476 AD. After Rome, though, we saw what? Ten nations, right? A mixture of iron and clay is what the Bible said. And then this little horn, it comes up after that, and it's brought into view this second beast. So it must come somewhat recently in history, after around the time of the little horn. This nation being depicted uh, in the Bible would have to be, you could say, a new nation. And we know it came up in an area that was sparsely populated. But how does it come up? Let's look at Revelation 13, 11 again. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. It's interesting that it says it has two horns that are like a lamb. The word lamb is used in the book of Revelation more than two dozen times. And every single time, it's referring to Jesus except for one place, right here in Revelation 13, 11. Here we're told that this power has two horns like a lamb. This would indicate, I believe, that this nation is in some way Christ-like. And that's very important. Did you notice that this nation is not depicted as wearing a crown? In Revelation 13, the first nation that came up had crowns on its head, right? But where there's a crown, you have a monarchy. No monarchy here. So here's what we know so far. It arises in a sparsely populated area. The Bible indicates that it's a young nation. There's no monarchy. It would assume a position of worldwide power and influence. And as we look at those facts, I think we can come to only one inescapable conclusion of to what this nation could be the United States of America. It's the only one that fits that description. When it, was, when it arose, it was known as the New World. It was a haven for those who were escaping religious persecution, and it was founded on twin freedoms, the freedom of government, and the freedom of religion. According to the Bible, and I want to say this with deep respect, there will be a time when a change comes over the heart of this nation. How do we know that? We go back to Revelation 13, 11. It says that it spoke like a dragon. Now, a dragon in Revelation, the dragon is none other than who? Right. Satan himself. We saw that from the Bible last night. The nation will be Christ-like. But there comes a time when it speaks like a dragon. How is it that a nation speaks? Well, we all know a nation speaks one way. It speaks through its laws. You see a nation with um, draconian laws, and it tells you something about the heart of that nation, right? The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 12. It says that, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. According to the Bible, this nation would grow in power, in prestige, in prominence, and use its authority to bring that first nation back into a position of unbridled power. Now let's try to understand how this might happen. How a nation that, you know, at one point stands for freedom, stands for religious liberty, and how it might use that to one day to affect that freedom and liberty in a negative way. Because with freedom, there comes a lot of responsibility, great responsibility. God gave us all freedom of choice, and each one of us have a, a responsibility to use that freedom of choice wisely. In this country, you're free to learn. You can learn to fly an airplane, Right? But we're going to trust that if you learn to fly that airplane, that you're not going to fly it into a building. In this country, you are free to drive a car, provided that you are of the appropriate age to do so. But we're going to trust that you will drive responsibly. Right? There's a lot of responsibility there. With freedom... There's always risk involved. There's risk that someone who has freedom might use that freedom in a negative way. The United States, which has always been this haven of people who wanted to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience. But you know, in society today, we are seeing a shift There's a great deal less respect for God and things of the Bible and things that were once taboo are now celebrated. In the Western world, essentially anything goes and sin is often defended by people who misguidedly refer to it as freedom of expression. I mean, we see these things and... We don't even react anymore. Kind of desensitized. Things that not long ago we would have said that's absolutely scandalous. Doesn't affect us. We just kind of watch and it goes by. This nation is coming under attack, and we know that. You know, we were shocked on 9 11. How many of you remember where you were on 9 11? Yeah, every hand in this room goes up as long as you were born after that time. (laughs) Maybe there's some young ones here. That changed life irreversibly. You know, and, and if you don't think it affects you, try going to an airport sometime. Many people see that the only solution for this nation is to return to the one who made this nation great in the first place. The Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When a nation is down or an individual is down, the best thing to do is to turn to God and embrace God's principles. It is likely that as we look at the Bible, that what is about to happen is that a nation will attempt to turn to God, but in so doing, it will actually be turning away from God. As we look at the Bible, we see a scenario developing where there's a move to lead people back to God's ways. But in so doing, the pendulum swings the other way. And people are influenced away from God instead. You know, a good deception always closely mirrors the genuine article. FBI agents, when they're studying money, they don't waste their time by studying counterfeits. They study the genuine article, and then they can spot the fake very easily. People in the end of time are going to be encouraged to receive something called the mark of the beast, thinking that it's going to be a good thing. The Bible says that this nation, the United States of America, will use its power to elevate that first nation in Revelation 13 back to its position of global supremacy. As we consider that, we find that the Bible says that the book, in the book of Revelation that ultimately an act of worship is going to be enforced. What act of worship will that be? We read that in Revelation 13. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, notice that it says he causes That means you're forcing or coercing people on this earth to receive the mark of the beast. According to the Bible, laws will be passed. Laws will be passed legislating an unbiblical act of worship. Now, in that verse we just read, it said that people who didn't receive the mark of the beast will not be able to buy or do what? Sell. So let's understand what that means. For a long time, people have been worrying about this mark of the beast, uh, that it's going to be something implanted on them. Maybe it's a silicon chip, uh, something that goes under your skin, or a smart card, or something like that, right? Let's try to separate a couple things here. One is how the mark of the beast is going to be enforced. The other is what the mark of the beast actually is. These are two different things. Whatever the mark of the beast is, it's pushed on the whole world. There will be many who do not want to receive it. But the Bible says they'll be coerced to accept it. And if you don't accept it, you're not going to be able to buy or sell. What will the mechanism be that keeps people from buying and selling? We don't know. We're not told. But whatever it is, it isn't the mark of the beast. I want to draw a very clear distinction for you. Let's say we have the mark of the beast with us and I put it right here in front of all of us. Okay, there it is. You can see it. You don't want to take it, right? What's going to be done to get you to take that mark of the beast? You're going to be prevented from buying and selling. And when the lights go out, and the heat goes out, and it's wintertime, and you can't buy any food that you need to put on the table for your kids, those economic sanctions are going to be a powerful motivator to get you to accept the mark of the beast. The economic sanctions themselves are not the mark. They are just the mechanism that moves you to receive the mark. This idea that we must fear something that's put under our skin or a laser beam or whatever it is, that's not the mark of the beast. And Satan has been very successful in moving our attention away from where it needs to be. You know, today, we hardly see money anymore. Uh, in, in some ways, I almost feel bad for homeless people because, you know, myself, I never carry cash. Uh, your paycheck is direct deposited into your bank account, right? Very convenient. We all probably enjoy that, and there's nothing especially wrong with it. But today, we're even moving away from credit cards, right? You, you don't. Need, I mean, all you need is your phone. You go to the, the go to the grocery store. Beep, done. Super easy, very convenient. I don't know if you've used it. I, I have. I think it's fantastic. But we're moving more and more in an electronic direction. We can we can all see that clearly. So do you think we can imagine a time where society has moved to the point where it would be possible to keep people from buying and selling? I'd say you could agree with me that we're either almost there or already there, right? If the manager at your bank wanted to, she could prevent you from buying and selling by freezing your bank account, and your cards wouldn't work anymore, and all the money you you would have would be in your piggy bank, right? Right? We can stop fretting about silicon chips or laser beams or something under your skin or whatever because we're already at the future. We're at the time that this prohibition can already be enforced. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that cards or silicon or whatever is going to keep us or prevent us from buying and selling. We don't know what it is and we don't need to speculate. All we know is we're already living in that time where this is something that can be curtailed or controlled very easily. Any new technological developments that happen just makes it easier, right? But hear me carefully. Whatever the mechanism is, it isn't the mark of the beast. It's only the mechanism that's designed to get you to accept the mark when it comes. It's an old practice. Economic sanctions have been imposed on places like Cuba and Iraq, South Africa, um, all kinds of other nations. It isn't new. Many people still remember rationing during World War II. You couldn't just go and buy whatever you wanted. There were controls in place, right? So this isn't as hard to imagine as uh, you might think. But the Bible's very clear we see that the world around us is declining very rapidly. Morally, spiritually, socially, it's not safe anymore. We can all agree that returning to God and his principles is in the best interest of this world. The challenge we're facing today is who is deciding what God's principles are we're going to find ourselves in a place where somebody with an inaccurate view of the will of God can enforce upon the world something that's said to be good but will ultimately bring spiritual disaster the time is coming when the might of the planet's most powerful nation will be misused to enforce this mark and offered as a blessing from God. He goes further. Revelation chapter 13, verse 15 says, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The Bible says that people without the mark of the beast will be threatened with death. That's pretty steep. Can you imagine somebody so religiously fanatical that they would threaten to kill those who don't agree with them? Wait a minute. We can imagine that, can't we? It's happened all the way through history. And in fact, it's happening in some parts of the world right now. A good counterfeit always runs close to the true. An image to the beast will be formed. What is the beast? We'll explain this more in another night. But essentially, it's an amalgamation of church and state. Worship will be the main issue. You'll go with the program or persecution will come. You'll be singled out for special treatment. God's people will have to answer a question. Will you worship God in spirit and in truth? Or will you just go with the traditions of men? Now, we've seen this in the Bible before. There were three young men in a crowd one day on the plain of Dura. In what is modern-day Iraq, and the king of Babylon had dreamed of an image made of various metals. We talked about that last night, and uh, he was told that he was the head of what? He was the head of gold, and that represented the kingdom of Babylon. But you know, he didn't really like that. That upset him a little bit, and he had an entire statue made of gold. And to inaugurate it, he called the people together to worship the statue. And he said, "When the band starts to play, I want you to bow down and worship." So the band started to play. And the crowd bowed down, except for 3 men in the audience. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The crowd bowed, but these 3 did not. They stood Somebody came to the king and they said, you know, we've got three Hebrews in the crowd and they're not going with the program. They are not bowing down. He called them over. He was angry. I mean, how dare you defy the king? And he offered them a second chance, but they said, no, 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 no. Oh, king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We want you to know that our God is able to save us from the burning, fiery furnace. Doesn't matter to us. He threatened them with death. And they said, you know, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. We're not going to worship you. You see, they made a decision in their mind that they were going to be true to God. And so the Holy Spirit locked their knees and they couldn't bow down. They would not bow down. Their minds were given to God and they were going to be faithful. The king was furious. And he had them cast into a burning, fiery furnace and said, in fact, he said, heat it up seven times more. He was really going to cook them. And then he looked in the furnace and, and he was sure, I, I know I I know. I put three guys in there. I had three put in there. And he looks and he's like, am I going crazy? I, I don't see three. There's four in there. He thought it was a waste of three good young men and they're not wasting away. There's four. And the fourth one, he said, this looks like a son of the gods. In other words, the son of God, it was the son of God. Jesus was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were spared. Not even the hair on their head was singed, and their clothes didn't even have the smell of smoke when they came out. The king himself investigated and made sure. They stood for God, and God stood with them. You know, we all have a privilege down here at the end of time to stand for God. It's a privilege, it's a blessing, and we wonder sometimes, can I do this? It makes me nervous. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I'm holy enough. The question is not, am I able? The question is, is He able? The boys went in the fire, and He was able. Daniel went in the lion's den. God was able. The Hebrews came out of Egypt, and they were moving towards the promised land. There was a Red Sea in front of them, an Egyptian army behind them, but God was able. They wandered in the wilderness. They had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. God made manna come down from heaven and water come from a rock. He was able The blind cried out. The lame called his name. They couldn't see. They couldn't walk. But he was able and he's able not just then, but today. The only thing he cannot do is force your will. We're coming to a time of crisis. A time that I would say is a great spiritual crisis. And the question that we have to answer is who will have your heart? Who will have your allegiance? Who will have your love? You can give it all to God. You can trust Jesus with your heart and your life today. If he has all of you, you can rejoice. And if he doesn't, you got to make a decision. He's looking for you, your heart, your life, your will, He will keep you now and he will keep you forever. Why? Not because of your goodness, but because of his. Because he is able and he's able today. I want you to remember tonight that God is able. God is good. God has your best interest at heart. God is all powerful. Jesus died on the cross for you he rose for you. He spilled his blood for you. And you know what? One day soon he's coming back for you. Will you give your heart to him tonight and say, God, it doesn't matter what happens on this earth. I know that you are able. Will you tonight stand for God like those three young men stood on the plain of Dura. If that's your desire, stand with me tonight and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we can put ourselves in your hands because you are able. No matter what happens in this nation's history or any nation, we know that if we stand for you, you will stand for us. Lord, if we're in a position where that makes us nervous or we're afraid or what have you, Lord, we ask that you would put all our fears and worries aside because you have a love for us and you say in your word that perfect love casts out fear. We claim that promise tonight and we just rest in you and trust in you knowing that, Lord, you are coming soon to save every person here and you want each one to be in your heavenly kingdom And Lord, we trust that you are able. In Jesus' name, amen.